Our second reading this morning, uh, which again is, is in your bulletins for you, is Acts chapter 10. I'm going to read verses 24 through 48. Hear the word of the Lord. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to be visit or to visit anyone of another nation, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, I asked then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter, He is lodging in the house of Simon a Tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. He went about doing good. And healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all of the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us, to preach to the people and to testify that he was the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word and he believed from among Uh, And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Then they asked him to remain for some days. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray.
Father God Almighty, we call on your name this day and we thank you for the invitation to come into your presence and to gather with the brothers and sisters, to gather around your word. We pray that you would draw us away from the concerns of the week, that we would spend this hour here in this sanctuary in your presence, that we would be refreshed and rejuvenated by taking this time aside. We thank you for the Sabbath day that you have set it aside, especially uh, for your worship. We pray that you might be here with us by the power of your Holy Spirit so that we can worship you in spirit and in truth. We pray that you would send us your Holy Spirit this morning so that as we listen to your word proclaim that we might be illuminated in the same way that the writers of Scripture were inspired by your Holy Spirit. Lord, there are changing opinions in every day and in every year, and yet your holy word stands the test of time. And so we pray that you would speak to us uh, from your eternal word this day. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the title of this sermon, contrary to what you see in the bulletin, the title of this sermon is... We are all here in the presence of God. We are all here in the presence of God. This title is taken from Cornelius' statement to Peter uh, on the cusp of hearing Peter preach. And what I want to talk about this morning is how it is that we are in the presence of God when we sit under the preaching of the Word of God by someone who has been ordained by God. We are in the presence of God as we sit under the preaching of the Word of God by someone who has been ordained by God. So as we continue in our sermon series through the books of of Acts, we are in the story of Cornelius. This is the longest story uh, in the book of Acts. It runs about 66 verses. Cornelius uh, is... In one part of Judea, he has received a vision. An angel has come to him uh, and said that, you know, that God has heard his prayers, that God has remembered his sacrifices, and that he needs to go send for this man, uh, Simon Peter, who is in another place. And so Cornelius sends his servants to go fetch uh, Peter. Peter simultaneously receives a different vision in a different place. Peter is up on a roof. He's praying. It's at the afternoon hour. He's waiting for his lunch to come up. And God sends him this vision of this sheet filled with all kinds of animals, a a veritable Noah's Ark of animals that comes down out of heaven with animals that uh, were clean and unclean. And God tells Peter to get up, to kill, and to eat. Peter protests, I can't eat unclean animals, and God declares that all animals are clean. That was a preparation of Peter, for Peter, uh, so that he could meet with Cornelius. And so Cornelius uh, has called Peter to him. Peter is the invited guest preacher at Cornelius's house. He's traveled uh, this distance, a distance of a couple of days travel with a group of folks. And here they are, ready to preach to a household of Gentiles who are anticipating hearing a word from God. 
We as Reformed Christians have placed preaching at the center of our worship service. Now this is a change from the time of the Roman Catholic Church. The Reformation happened about 500 years ago, a little bit more than 500 years ago. And at that time, within the Roman Catholic Church, the centerpiece of worship was the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper. Everything else in the service either built up to or was uh, uh, an afterthought to the Eucharist. But in the Reformation, the proclamation of the Word of God takes that center place. Everything in our worship service that we do is structured to support uh, the preaching of the Word of God. Our call to worship at the beginning of this service is an invitation uh, for the gathered people to enter into the presence of God. The opening prayer... Uh, which is offered at the beginning of the service is what we call an invocation. It's a calling on the name of the Lord, asking God be present with us, be be here with us, uh, and incline your ear toward us. We follow that with a a prayer of confession, where we recognize our needs. We we recognize that we're sinful people. Uh, it's a part of the softening and the preparing of our hearts for change. It's a recognition that we need to hear from God, the prayer of confession. And then we finally come to the reading of the Scriptures. Preaching, of course, is always about the Scripture text that's been read and all of the elements that run up to uh, the reading of the scripture are preparations uh, for uh, for the proclamation of the word. Now then after the sermon, the sermon ends up being the center part of the service, but then after the sermon, there are responses uh, that we are making to the proclaimed word. Some of those are prayers. They could be uh, affirmations of faith. They could be songs of praise uh, that respond uh, to the preached text. They could be uh, offerings uh, of money of ourselves in service. They could be uh, offerings of ourselves uh, in response to an altar call. And then all of it's capped off with a benediction. All of the elements in a Reformed worship service that follow uh, the preaching of the word are responses to the word uh, that's been proclaimed. So in reformed worship, the preaching of the word is the centerpiece uh, of worship. I've said that we are in the presence of God when we sit under the preaching of the word of God by someone who's been ordained by God. And we see that reflected uh, in the text that we've read uh, here this morning. Cornelius, mm, on his way to Jesus, a believer in Yahweh, mm, but yet still a Gentile, Cornelius says in verse 33, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you, Peter, have been commanded by the Lord to speak. We are here in the presence of God to hear all that you, Peter, have been commanded to speak. So what is this presence of God that Cornelius senses is going on in his house? Well, let me eliminate a couple of possibilities and then focus on what the reality is. What's not being referred to here is God's 
omnipresence. Now, there's some sense in which God is present in all places and in all times. But when Cornelius says that we are here in the presence of God, he's not referring to God's omnipresence. There's some kind of special feeling in that room that day. There's some kind of special presence of God. He's also not referring to Peter's presence. You recall at the beginning of this encounter, Peter shows up at the house. Cornelius, a Roman military captain, comes out and falls down at his feet in an attitude of worship. And Peter raises him up and says, I'm not a god. I'm a man just like you. Okay, So Cornelius coming out of a pagan background where there would be messengers, divine messengers, uh, as part of his world, thinks that Peter might be of this sort of caliber, and so he falls down, but Peter indicates, no, I'm not a god, I'm just a man. So it's not Peter's presence that's being referred to here. When Cornelius says we are in the presence of God. In fact, what Cornelius is alluding to is that he's in the presence of the preaching of God's word. Now what happens after that statement is a summary of Peter's sermon. This will be the second uh, uh, major sermon that we have seen by uh, Peter in the Acts of the Apostles. And one of the things that you'll notice about this sermon, you have it there uh, in front of you uh, in your bulletins. One of the things that you're going to notice about this sermon is that it's actually nothing special. It's nothing new that Peter is revealing. In verse 37, Peter says, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea. Now he's talking to a house full of Gentiles. You and even the Gentiles apparently know all of the things that have happened in Judea. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. Okay? So Peter understands right up front that what he's saying to these people isn't something that they don't already know about. Nothing special. Nothing new. Well, except perhaps, maybe, I'm not 100% sure, but maybe the payoff that Peter offers in verse 43, where he says, everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Maybe this is the first time they've heard that, but maybe not. All right. So Peter is offering a sermon that is, mm, for the most part, Nothing special, nothing new. He's telling them the things that they have already known. Most sermons, by the way, simply remind us of things that we've already heard a hundred times in church before. If you spent any time in church, you've heard most of the sermons that are, that are available out there. And yet we come back week after week to hear the word of God proclaimed. Now, so the content of Peter's sermon is nothing Special or nothing new, nothing that they didn't already know, but also his presentation, his manner of presentation is actually rather ordinary. Compared with the preaching of Jesus, which was uh, filled out uh, with uh, parables and interesting stories, Peter has a rather uh, cut and dried uh, recitation of the basic details of what, have ha- what had happened uh, in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Not very fancy. Paul, 
who would be the other great pillar of the church, Paul also wasn't a very fancy preacher. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verses 1 through 5, we hear Paul say, Dear brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I told you the truth of God, but I did not use fancy words or great wisdom. I decided that while I was with you, I would forget about everything except Jesus Christ and his death on a cross. Okay, that's the core of the gospel, of course. When I came to you, I was weak and I shook with fear. My teaching and my speaking were not with wise words that persuaded people. There were people at this time, by the way, in the ancient world who would travel from city to city. They were called sophists and they would, for a fee teach you the art of convincing other people. They would give you the skills of public speaking. Peter and Paul are not sophists. They're not people who've gone to these schools of public speaking. The proof of my teaching, Paul writes, was the power that the Spirit gives. I did this so that your faith would be in God's power and not in human wisdom. We have to be very careful when we hear convincing words from individuals, from mere humans, that we're not attracted to the human wisdom or to the cleverness of their presentation. We need to be careful that our ear is attuned to the Word of God, that that's what we're listening for, and that we're not distracted by the human who might be speaking at that moment. Preaching is actually a rather ordinary, uh, you know, kind of low wow factor kind of uh, speaking. There's no special effects required uh, in preaching. That raises the question of what is it that elevates preaching to the status of being the presence of God? And to answer that, I need to talk about three parties who participate in any preaching event. Three parties who participate in any preaching event. The first party, of course, is the preacher. You don't have any preaching if you don't have a, uh, a preacher. Okay, um, And there are certain things that distinguish a preacher from a motivational speaker or a TED Talk giver or an entertainer. All right? So, three things that I can identify here. First of all, the preacher preaches Christ, but he doesn't preach himself. The preacher preaches Christ, but he doesn't preach himself. In verse 42 of what we read here, um, Peter is pointing to the identity of Christ. Peter says, Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. Peter's concern in talking with Cornelius and Cornelius' family and friends is that they, that they understand the identity of who Jesus is. In verse 43, Peter says, anyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness through his name. The concern of preaching is going to be to point to the identity of Jesus. Also, preaching is always going to be rooted in the scriptures. Verse 43, we hear Peter say, to him, to Jesus, all the prophets bear witness. When we talk about the prophets, of course, we're talking about the scriptures. In his case, it would be just the Hebrew scriptures. But when we have a Christian preacher preaching today, we're going to be preaching out of both the Old Testament and the New Testament prophets. You'll recall the first sermon that Peter preached.
preached on the day of Pentecost, the first sermon of the Christian era, is based on the Old Testament text of Joel chapter 2. Christian preaching is always the explication of a biblical text. Every once in a while, I will be out with... Uh, non-Christian friends on a Saturday night and, you know, they know that I've got to preach the next morning and they'll ask me, well, you know, what are you going to preach on tomorrow? And then the next, and after I tell them, the next question they'll ask is, well, how do you keep coming up with ideas? What to preach about? Because in their mind, the preacher is doing what a TED talker is doing or the way a television entertainer where he's preaching himself. Being a preacher is is wonderfully boring. I never have to come up with an idea. All I have to do is read the next section of scripture that we're going to be covering, and there's my sermon text. Okay, and that's what I need to what I need to explain. All right. So the preacher is never preaching himself. He's always preaching Christ, and he's always preaching Christ through the witness of scripture. Number two, the preacher preaches the word of God and not his own theories or human wisdom. This means that a preacher actually doesn't have to be that smart. Doesn't have to be educated in worldly ways, but the preacher does need to be faithful to the biblical text. Third, the preacher does not speak on his own authority. I don't know if you've ever noticed, uh, if you ever read the little biographical sketches of, of people who speak at conferences, and they list their credentials, and oftentimes their credential for being a conference speaker is that they've spoken at other conferences. Check these out, okay? You'll see it, uh, or on the on the, on the j- uh, jacket blurbs, you know, so and so. The only thing he's famous for is having spoken. At a conference, well, a preacher doesn't have this problem because a preacher doesn't speak on his own authority. But a preacher does need to be authorized, certified, ordained, commissioned, and sent by God. Now, here uh, within the Presbyterian Church, we understand that the commissioning and the ordination and the sending of a preacher is done through the voice of the church. Okay, we have uh, one individual, one member of this congregation uh, who is in that process right now within the EPC. It's a long, drawn-out process, and there are a lot of uh, people examining uh, that individual's life and uh, and ascertaining whether or not uh, they have the equipping um, and the uh, and and the calling. Um, but the preacher who goes out there to preach doesn't preach on his own authority. Which is a wonderful thing. It's a very freeing thing, actually. In verse 33, Cornelius is aware of this. I don't know how Cornelius is aware of it. But Cornelius is aware of it. I guess he must have been inspired by the Holy Spirit too. Cornelius says, this is verse 33, We are here. Who knows how many people were gathered in his house. We are here to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Cornelius knows that Peter isn't speaking for Peter. That speak, Peter's speaking for the Lord. What a relief to Peter. I don't have to, I don't have to worry about coming up with ideas. Uh, I just have a message from God and 
here I am to deliver it. Cornelius is aware of this. Somehow Cornelius, as the hearer in this preaching event, is aware that the preacher is not speaking on the preacher's behalf, but that the preacher is speaking on behalf of the Lord. That's on the one side. That's verse 33. We are here to hear all that you've been commanded by the Lord. On the other side, Peter's also aware of this. In verse 42, Peter says... Jesus commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness. Notice that Peter also is aware that he's not speaking on his own authority. Cornelius, the listener to the sermon, is aware that Peter is speaking on behalf of the Lord. But Peter himself is aware, oh, I've just been commanded. Jesus told me to do this. I'm not doing this because I want to do this. I would rather be fishing, but Jesus has commanded me to do this. The preacher does not speak on his own authority. He's authorized, certified, ordained, commissioned, and sent by God, which is a tremendous, tremendous relief. Alright, so the first person that shows up in the preaching event is the preacher. The second person who shows up in the preaching event is Almighty God. Alright, and he shows up in the whole complexity uh, of the Godhead. He shows up in the scriptures, okay, the, the scriptures uh, which reveal the word of God. He shows up in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to be present in the preacher. The Holy Spirit is going to be present in the listener. Okay, The communication only happens uh, because the Holy Spirit is on both sides. Uh, uh, God shows up also in, in the person of Jesus Christ who promised to be that two, uh, promised to be present wherever two or more are gathered in his name. Okay? So the whole complexity of the Godhead shows up in the preaching event. If God is not present, it's not preaching. It's a TED talk. Might be true, might be wise, but it's just not preaching. The third party that shows up in a preaching event is the listener. Now, there's a problem here because the word listening sounds very passive. But it's not. Listening is an activity. It requires effort and it requires Work. There's a difference between having your eardrum vibrate and actually comprehending what's being said. Okay, there's a difference between having your eyes scan a page and understanding the content of what you read. Listening is an activity. It requires effort on the part of the listener. Cornelius and his household, they're primed. For the preaching of Peter. They are ready for this. They're anticipating that something's going to happen. They've sent for Peter. They have anticipated and proclaimed with their own mouth. That what Peter's going to say is coming from God. And they sense God's presence in that preaching event. They are actively engaged in what's going on in that moment there in Cornelius' house. So the three parties present in the preaching event, there is the preacher, ordained and certified by God, pointing to Christ, speaking from the word of God. There is God himself, 
present in all the complexity of the Godhead. And there is the listener who is actively engaged in the preaching event. We are in the presence of God as we sit under the preaching of the Word of God from someone who has been ordained by God. The outcome of an authentic preaching event where preacher God and listener all come together turns out to be a a kind of an explosion or a conflagration. In this story that we have here in the Acts of the Apostles, verse 44, we read, while Peter was still saying these things, okay, the text lists these different kind of facts about the life of Jesus uh, that Peter was preaching. While Peter was still saying these things, while Peter was still preaching, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. Peter's not even done. Okay? And something goes crazy in the room. They begin speaking in tongues. They begin praising God. He's not even given an altar call yet. And the response is happening. In the preaching event, God shows up. And there are consequences for that authentic engagement between these three parties that happens even while the preaching is still going on. So it raises the question of what is it that we should do so that we can enjoy an authentic preaching event. I think all of us want to be in the presence of God. All of us love to hear good preaching. All of us would love to have God speak to us, to our situation, to our lives. Three people, are, of course, are required for that event to happen, the preacher of God and you. But what I want to talk about now in the close of this sermon is what is it that we can do? We're going to assume that God is going to do his part. Let's pretend that the preacher is doing his part during the week and getting ready for the preaching event. What about the rest of us? What is it that we can do to make this explosive conflagration happen? In the preaching event. I just have a a few, I don't know if they're random ideas, but a few separate distinct ideas about how we as a congregation can make the preaching better. Number one, I would say we need to guard the Sabbath. We need to guard the Sabbath. We need to protect Sunday morning. We need to be consistently Physically, mentally, spiritually present at the preaching of the Word of God. Worship is active. And if we don't consistently worship, our worship muscles atrophy. We become flaccid worshipers. If we're not showing up regularly in worship... We don't know how to do it anymore. We don't have the strength to do it anymore. If you're here every week, if you're hearing and engaging in the preaching of the Word of God every week, you develop the strength to draw the most from that. If you're showing up every once in a while and hoping that 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 preaching event is going to transform you, uh, you'll probably just get bounced around a little bit. 
consistent physical, mental, and spiritual presence at the preaching of the Word of God. I think it's important. I believe that the Sabbath comes once a week for a reason. Okay? I think God knew what He was doing. Alright? Consistent Sabbath worship does build our worship muscles. So the first thing, guard the Sabbath. The second thing is to pray. All right, obviously we're told to pray without ceasing. We're told to pray in all circumstances. But I don't know how often you pray about the sermon. Do you pray for the preacher before you get to church? Some of you do. Some of you are praying in the car. Oh, God, I hope he gives me a good sermon this week. All right, some of you are praying. You need to pray for the preacher. You need to pray for the congregation that they would be prepared and receptive you need to pray during the sermon. Okay, the sermon's going to have different parts. As you're going along, there are certain parts that might snag on your heart, that might uh, illuminate something for you, or that might rub you the wrong way. But you can pray during you can pray during the sermon. You can pray after the sermon. You can pray that God would seal the word to your heart and that he would give you the mind of Christ. You can pray that the Holy Spirit will open your ears and eyes and give you a heart that's willing to respond. Okay? Now, one of the reasons, I mean, there, the, your pastor needs your prayer. Okay? You won't have a good pastor if you're not praying for him. Alright? So, I need the prayer. The congregation needs the prayer. The, the congregation is not an atomized, isolated group of individuals were actually an organic body that are connected to each other. Okay, we're living in a very unconnected time. You're in your little family groups. You're huddled there together. Uh, and we need to think about ways to overcome this isolation. But the body of Christ is organic. Okay, it's connected. If I cut my foot off, it's no longer part of my body. It doesn't really work. Okay, It only works when it's connected. Um, so you need to pray for the congregation too because there is uh, an esprit de corps, not the Holy Spirit, but an esprit de corps uh, from the congregation which is important in the, in the work of, uh, uh, of preaching. The other reason though that I think it's important to pray for the preaching is that if God speaks... God is going to say to you something that you wouldn't have said to yourself. Something that's unanticipated. If you read scripture and never come upon a passage that contradicts your opinion, then you haven't read scripture. Because your mind is not the same as God's mind. Okay? So when the word of God is proclaimed to you, there is no way for that to not interfere with your current perceptions. At some point. Maybe not in every moment. Maybe some of it you agree with. Those are the times when you say amen. But sometimes you're going to snag on it. And sometimes it's going to irritate you. And sometimes it might be a burr under your saddle for the week. All right? And you need to be praying about it. 
Because only if we are receptive to what God is saying is it possible for God to shape our mind according to the mind of Christ. We need to be in the Word all of the time because we don't already have the mind of God. All right. We look into the Scriptures to have our mind shaped, to have it changed. I don't know if you think about this. I don't know if any of you thought, oh, I'm going to go to church today because I need my mind changed. Well, let me give you a clue. If you didn't need your mind changed before you came to church today, you didn't need to come to church. Okay, you were already fine. You're complete. You're whole. You're fully sanctified. You're God. All right? But if you're not that, then you're coming to church because you're anticipating having your mind and heart shaped in some way. And... We trust the Word of God as being the thing that's going to shape it. We need to pray about that so that we can be receptive to that. Because if you're anything like me, hearing an opinion different than your own is a hard thing to absorb. All right? And so we need God's help in that. So we need to pray. Uh, Thirdly, we need to confess. Okay? In a Reformed worship service... There's always a prayer of confession. Some people who were not raised in a Presbyterian church are a little mystified by why are we confessing our sins every week? Aren't we covered by the blood of Jesus? Aren't those all washed away? Hasn't God forgotten our sins? We confess our sins on a regular basis because that softens our hearts. It makes us conscious in that moment that we are not pure and righteous and just in ourselves. And it makes us aware that persistent sin can cause a kind of callousness and unresponsiveness in our hearts. All right, If you have a sin pattern in your life that you're not repenting of and you just keep going back to it again and again and again, that spot becomes so hard in your life that God's word's just going to bounce off you. And so we confess to God. We ask God's forgiveness. We ask for a newness of heart. Okay, We want to be... Uh, uh, like children when, when we come to Christ. The fourth thing I would say that we need to do is we need to come with a spirit of expectation. We need to come to church expecting we're going to have a corporate encounter with Jesus Christ. Alright? When you do it right, you'll walk through those doors... And the hair is going to go up on the back of your neck. Because you're entering into the house of God. And you know that the congregation of God is going to be here. And you know that Jesus promised to be wherever two or more are gathered. And so you know Jesus is going to be here. Come with expectations. We're not individual Christians. We're members of a body. And come expecting to meet him when you gather with the brothers and sisters. I would also encourage you to arrive early. Some of you are here quite early uh, while the band is still working and we're trying to get things uh, ironed out. I think the people who come early have the advantage of, of just kind of settling down. They got all their stuff worked out. They, they needed a drink. They got a drink. Uh, they're relaxed and they're prepared to receive God's word. I would also encourage you to actively, ruthlessly, remove distractions, at least for this one hour. All of the scientific evidence points to the fact that smartphones are making us dumb. 
endless distraction. Okay? Distraction, 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 distraction. Focused, attention, restful, settled, grounded, centered. Think of going to a sermon like going out on a hot date. If you go take your paramour to a fancy restaurant and you pull out your iPhone, that'll be the last date you have with that person. Okay? You want to give your attention. Remove the distractions. Number seven, I would say be curious. I don't know that Christians are famous for being curious. I wish we were. I hope we become famous for being curious. I think we need to be learning stuff. I think we should be willing to be surprised. I think we need to ask questions. Be curious when you come into a preaching event. Number eight, turn to Jesus. In some sense, every Christian sermon is a call to come to Jesus. Sometimes it's coming to Jesus for the first time. Maybe you've never professed faith in Jesus Christ. You need to do that. You need to do it today. There can be a first time to come to Jesus. But even if you've come to Jesus already that first time, you can come to Him again and again. You keep bringing your life to Him. You come to Him more fully. When I was about Harrison's age, I used to go to a little country church in the Ozarks, Baptist church. And there was a woman who always sat up front. And every other Sunday... She would go forward for the altar call to rededicate her life to Jesus. Now, we, we thought that was very funny. But I've learned to appreciate that woman's softness of heart that she kept bringing herself back to Jesus. Yes, she was saved. She had been saved years ago. But we're living this life and we're walking this pilgrim path and we need to keep going back to Jesus. We need to turn to Jesus every Sunday. We need to run to Jesus every Sunday. Number nine, we need to repent. Sometimes a sermon will hit you where you live and if that happens, give thanks to God and repent. It's a blessing to have God point out our missteps. God's word is a lamp to our feet. And if our feet are in a ditch, the word gets us back on track. And the way we do that is by hearing that word, receiving it and responding by repenting. And I think a final thing that we can do uh, with our sermons is to retell the sermon. You know, we don't live in an age that does very well with Memory, we don't remember very much because everything's written down for us or we can look it up on Google. But have you ever thought about retelling or recounting or re-preaching a sermon that you heard? The philosopher that I studied in graduate school, his name was Fichte, and uh, he grew up in a very humble family. But the way he, be, he came to national prominence in Germany was the local noblemen in his Uh, in his town had missed the sermon that Sunday and he was commenting on this to to someone else and saying, you know, uh, can you, can you tell me what, you know, what the pastor said this Sunday? And they said, well, I can't tell you, but this, this, the little boy Fichte can. And so they bring in this boy, I don't know, he's eight years old or something, and he's able to repeat 
the, the pastor's sermon for the, for the nobleman, and the nobleman then under, wrote his uh, whole education as a result. A remarkable capacity to, to grab that. But it's important uh, not just to memorize things for the sake of memory, but by retelling, we learn uh, better ourselves. We learn best by teaching others. And so I think if we were to tell the sermon to someone else, you go home and tell it to someone else. You tell it to each other. Not only it, it roots it more deeply in your heart, and I think it also uh, provides a multiplier effect on the sermon itself. So here's my encouragement to you uh, this day. We are in the presence of God as we sit under the preaching of the Word of God by someone who has been ordained by God. It's a wonderful, wonderful privilege. I hope you don't neglect that privilege, uh, and I hope that you look forward to it uh, week after week. The results of the proclamation of God's Word is explosive in the Christian community. It should be transformative uh, for your life. And the encouragement in all preaching is that we come, come to Jesus. To come to Him for the first time, to come to Him again and again if you've been there already. Let us close our uh, sermon in prayer. Father God, we honor You and we bless Your name. We thank you for being here with us this day. And we thank you for ah, the testimony of Cornelius. We thank you for the ways in which you opened his heart and illuminated his mind as to what, what was going on. Even though he was coming from outside of the church, he, he still grasped that you were present in the midst of that preaching. Lord, I pray that you would make us a people who are faithful in attending public worship. I pray that uh, we would uh, be eager to hear your word proclaimed. I pray that we would be encouraged and strengthened and transformed and sanctified by the work of uh, the preaching. And Father God, I pray that in all of this, that the glory would rise to you, that your people would uh, look more and more uh, the way you want them to look. We pray that your kingdom would come, uh, and we pray that we would uh, serve you better in this world this day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.